Welcome to the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks podcast. By listening, you are becoming a part of our River Talks community. We're so excited to have you. River Talks are recorded live in Nashville, Tennessee at the Cumberland River Compact's River Center. Today, we're excited to host Carol Busey. Carol is the Davidson County historian focused on preserving and sharing the stories of Nashville. We all often think in the here and now, what's going on that will affect our environment and the Cumberland River. And these are the stories that we often share during River Talks. But often those questions and issues come with a long history of the way the Cumberland River has been used and changed through time. In today's talk in particular, we will be exploring a fundamental change in the way the Cumberland River functions, the taming of the Cumberland River through locks and dams. And now we get to hear from Carol Busey. for coming out today uh, to uh, enjoy the ambiance of this spot. I love coming down here and getting this really bird's eye view of the river and how beautiful it is, even on a day when uh, the water seems to be going a little bit fast today and uh, it has had uh, a little uh, rain uh, to fill it a little bit more today. So on this day, thank you all for coming out. Now, uh, Catherine mentioned that I'd been working on women's suffrage this year, and I rather doubt that there's anybody in here who remembers where they were. I doubt that there, there's anybody who was anywhere uh, on August 18th, 1920. But I'm sure the Cumberland River Compact would give you a free membership if you were here today. Uh, but nonetheless, I want to just use that as my segue to get into what I'm here to talk about, which is the history of the river. And while you don't remember where you were on August the 18th, 1920, I bet everybody in this room can tell you where they were on that Sunday morning of 2010 in May when we really realized we had a problem. You know, it wasn't Saturday that we realized we had a problem. It really wasn't Saturday afternoon, but Sunday, when you started hearing that churches were closing, you knew that in the buckle of the Bible Belt there was something big going on here. And, and even now, we're going to have the 10th anniversary of this event next May, and even now to look at these pictures, it, it is still a reality that I look at these and I say, this could happen again. I mean, you just can't imagine Th those streets were actually that deep. The water was that deep all over the place. Here is Pennington Bend, which has had flooding in the past. Uh, houses uh, were, were totally destroyed in many areas of town. Out, on Ante out in Antioch, when the rivers, uh, the Mill Creek receded, uh, it had washed cars up in piles like this. Uh, Opry Mills was pretty well totally gutted. Uh, there were problems all over the city, and yet Nashville did what Nashville does best. We rose to the occasion and went to work helping people. I've never seen a city mobilize and unite as we did by May 4th and 5th. We were going, we had uh, food banks, we had construction crews going out to rip out carpets and drywall. We were a city helping. 
Now, the Cumberland River is what we're really here to talk about today, and it's taming. And all of you know that the Cumberland River is really why we're here. The Native Americans who had lived all over this part of the state of Tennessee, they had really uh, uh, explored this and found it to be a really beautiful place, the Eden of the West, some people actually called it. But it also was a place where uh, game and fowl were abundant. It was indeed a place of great beauty. And yet this river was one of those wild rivers. It was unpredictable. It made, uh, uh, it flooded from time to time. There were all manner of things. And so we get these settlers from uh, the uh, English colonies from Virginia and North Carolina, primarily but not exclusively Scots-Irish. We had a Swede, a German, a few other nationalities in with those settlers that came, the Robertson Party by land and the Donaldson Party by water. And we, we, uh, we know that those people came over here for one reason, opportunity. They had heard that this was a beautiful place. They were interested in the land. They saw this as an unmatched opportunity, and they came. But pretty quickly when they got here, they realized that they had to do something to use this river for something more than just transportation, and they had to put this river to good works, to good use. And so pretty much from the beginning, as, the, as Tennessee becomes a state, and then this area really begins to grow, you see kind of a, a debate going on. What do we do to make the river easier for transportation, especially after the steamboats arrived starting in 1819? You see, what do we do for transportation? How do we best utilize this? Do we need to dredge it and make it deeper? What do we need to do about this river? And then you also see people who say, we need to put this river to work for us. Now, I bet some of you know where this picture was taken. I did not take this picture. I didn't, I'm, I'm afraid of tunnels, so I did not want to get in there knee deep in water. This is Montgomery Bell's tunnel, which is over uh, in, I guess it's in Cheatham County, uh, maybe Dixon, it's near White Bluff, but the county lines over there are kind of uh, uh, invisible some of the places. Montgomery Bell was one of these people who had come not in the first wave with the Robertson or Donaldson party, but he had come and he too saw opportunity for uh, uh, bettering himself financially. He bought this piece of property over there on the Harpeth River. Uh, he will ultimately build a house, but there was, the spot he bought was a, a, a former iron forge. And so he had thought he might get into the iron business. You know, uh, Dixon County uh, really was a, an iron center. There is today an iron uh, tra a trail that the MTSU uh, uh, Center for Historic Preservation uh, laid out to see all of these uh, remnants of the iron culture that made some of those towns over there initially very wealthy. So Montgomery Bell buys this, this forge 
And he looks at the land, and this is another thing that I think Tennesseans really have, is a remarkable curiosity and a remarkable uh, what-if mentality. What if we could channel this water in the Harpeth River to run some kind of a mill, a wheel, if you will, that will turn with such force that it will hammer raw iron down into flat iron. And so he looked at the lay of the land and he said, well, we could dig a tunnel. And that is exactly what he decided to do. He decided to dig a tunnel from one side of the river in a spot where the river makes a pretty pronounced bend. I actually thought I had a picture of that up here, but I see it's not here. You may see it later on. Uh, he, it has a pretty pronounced bend, and he would have this tunnel cut through there. Keep in mind, there's no dynamite. You're going to have to do this the old-fashioned way. And it's going to have water coming from one side going down through the tunnel with force, so it's going to have to have a slight slant to then turn this wheel, and then the wheel will pound the iron in two or three revelations. It is technologically unbelievable, and if you have never been over there, put that on your bucket list to go see Montgomery Bell's Tunnel. You can hike up on the bluff and, and look down on either side, it is also remarkable to think about how he did this. Slave labor dug this tunnel. So they had to divert the river in some way just so that these people could get in there to do the physical digging of the tunnel. And indeed, he did become quite wealthy with this. He built a house across the way up on the bluff, another bluff where he could see this. His house has been gone for the longest time, but he is still buried over there. Uh, you see, can see his gravestone, but he is buried over there. And so he was trying to put the river to work. But other people wanted it for navigation. They felt that we should be using it better, more, more fully utilizing it as a highway. Now, we're going to talk a lot about flooding here in a minute because uh, that is a, a common theme here in the history of Nashville. But really, as much as anything, they really had more trouble with droughts especially if they got this ferry system of transportation to get people from one side of the river to the other side. There were constant droughts and the river would be too low even to float a, a, a ferry from one side to the other. And so you've got, you've got the problem with it being low in the summertime, and then you have these floods. And, you know, there are really kind of two kinds of floods going on here from the very beginning. Uh, you've got the uh, slow-rise floods, which are just it rains and rains and rains and rains and rains. You've experienced that. And then you've got a flash flood where it just we have a deluge in a very short period of time. 
And so in the, you can kind of, to some degree, predict when these things are going to come. Uh, the worst of the slow ride flood are in the uh, late winter and early spring. It rains and rains and rains for a while. And then you'll have these cloud bursts where it rains way, way, way too much. And we don't know what to do with either one. So what do we do to control this river? What is going to be our strategy here? Now, we had steamboats, as I mentioned, coming up the Cumberland River uh, by 1819. Uh, in 1811, the first steamboat camp, uh, captained by uh, 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 Nicholas Roosevelt came down the Ohio, down to the, to, through the Mississippi, and it could be done. Well, once somebody has done it once, it's going to happen over and over. And you're going to see great improvements in these steamboats from the side wheel steamboats where the paddle was uh, uh, on the side or on either side of the boat. Uh, and then you're going to see the, the model changing as they change the engines. But the single biggest problem of a steamboat itself is the hazard of the thing blowing up and exploding. The steam engines often overheated and exploded. And then here on the Cumberland River, and this is true of the Tennessee River for sure as well, you have these places where rocks come up very close to the surface of the water. They are called shoals. You really can't see these rocks, but they're right up there close to the surface of the water, and you don't see them until you hit them. Uh, there is a very prominent shoal uh, on the Harpeth River before you get to Cheatham, on, on the Cumberland River before you get to Cheatham Down that is called the Harpeth Shoals. And lots of boats got tripped up, steamboats got tripped up on that. You have sandbars. If you get stuck in a sandbar, you're going to really pretty much have to wait till the water rises or falls. You're going to have to wait on the water. It's going to be almost impossible to get out of that. You have snags that are trees that have grown up under water and you get tangled up in that. So you've got all of these things out there in the river and we want to make the river work for us and we want to somehow manage these floods. So you have lots of floods. I mean, the stories we know about James Robertson, these are mostly from the Robertson family lore. When he arrived here, tradition tells us that he arrived on December 24th, 1779. Now, I'm not sure that he really knew exactly what calendar day it was, but it really doesn't matter. The Cumberland River that day was frozen over. And so they camp on one side of the river. Let's just imagine that it's over here somewhere, not too far from us. And then the next day, they send their animals first across the river. And then when they see that none of the ice breaks, they very gingerly follow it across the river. If you've never been on a boat uh, going downstream from, let us just say, uh, Shelby Bottoms, there's a, a boat uh, a place where you can launch a boat down there uh, in the park system. You can uh, launch a boat. There's not a, a, a marina or anything, but you can launch a boat. If you have never been on the Cumberland River in a boat that goes fairly slow so you can see it, 
and coming this way, you're going downstream, you will see somewhere over there uh, the uh, uh, conduit that is for Browns Creek, which more or less flows over there under the uh, Pinnacle Building and the Skirmer Hornet, somewhere in that direction. And then further down there by the Criminal Justice Center, you'll see the opening for the Salt Creek. And so James Robertson had been here before. This was the specific spot that he had picked out to bring the settlers to, and it was identifiable. You could find these two places that came into the Cumberland River here. So the river uh, was, was dangerous then. It was frozen, and very regularly, the river is going to flood, even with the big bluffs here that were here before the TVA. They're certainly, uh, you can see them uh, if you go upstream uh, more prominently than in some places here, but on down towards the courthouse, you can see those bluffs. And, and the river would fl uh, uh, flood, and so consequently, the poorest people in town generally lived in the lowest areas of town. And it wasn't just Davidson County, Nashville, it was all over the country. Poor people live in the poorest land. And so when uh, uh, Irish Catholics come to town, uh, they had really actually been recruited to build the first bridge over the Cumberland River, which hope Tammy's gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks, the bridges here in the state. When they came, to provide that labor, they more or less settled down, if you go down uh, 2nd Avenue, I suppose, uh, go over in that direction where Joe Johnston School is, the city cemetery is at 4th over there, and in that area there is a beautiful Catholic church, St. Patrick's Catholic Church, and, and eventually Irish are going to be settling in that very low land over there around that church. That will become their community. So we know that when, as the city grows, it is still concerned about the river, about the floods, uh, the droughts, but most importantly, they want to make sure that the steamboats can get here because the steamboats are making Nashville a wealthy banking community, a business community with a business mindset. Now, the story of the Civil War, you all know. Uh, after the fall of Fort Donelson, the Union Army heads to town. There is a panic initially here in Nashville as the Union Army uh, is expected to come up the river from Fort Donelson up this way and take Nashville. People expect the place to be burned down. They expect all the food to be stolen from everybody. They expect the worst to happen and not much happens at all. The water was out of its banks when the Union Army, when the general uh, starts bringing his soldiers in, they march around our court square, which was kind of behind where the present court square is, uh, 
kind of behind where the courthouse is. They march around that a couple of times, play a Hail Columbia, go to the state capitol, and Nashville became one of the safest places in the South to be throughout the war because the Union soldiers were told, leave those people alone, and if you'd take an oath of allegiance to the Union, you could go about your business, financial business, if you would take an oath of allegiance. Some did. Some didn't, but the Union Army, the day that they arrived, it had been raining for days, one of these slow-rise floods, and the water was already creeping up. And so this was almost like an omen. You know, we're about to have the river out of its banks. How bad will it be? How far will it go? What is going to happen here? And what, what is this going to mean for us? So the Union Army occupied the city, and after the Civil War, we try to get things going again. But again, here we have another Cumberland River flood. Now, not exclusively, but most of the really big floods here in Davidson County were, were somehow or another related to the entire Mississippi River system in that uh, there would be a lot of rain in a particular set of months in the spring. The Mississippi would rise. As you know, the Mississippi rivers had a terrible time this summer with flooding, and the flooding would eventually hit the Ohio River, and it would eventually hit Nashville. All of these areas uh, began to flood more or less at the same time. So we have a pretty good-sized flood in 1874, that floods Clarksville. Clarksville, uh, we pretty much say it sits on the Cumberland River, but that's not exactly right. It really sits on the Red River, and so Clarksville uh, had a terrible flood, and then Nashville had a terrible flood that same year as well. Uh, as you can see, uh, people's houses, uh, buildings were underwater. It was one of those things that Clarksville was not prepared for and really didn't know what to do. So we start having these floods as the city begins to grow and the seasons begin to come and go. It's just a, a thing that happens every so often. Look at these major floods on the Cumberland River. Now this doesn't include all of those that just got out of the bank. The rivers got out of the banks or Mill Creek flooded. Now I can remember years ago when there was a big flood on Mill Creek that didn't cause the catastrophe that 2010 did. So we've had the creeks flood before. Richland Creek has flooded several times. But these are major Cumberland River floods that are going to take place. And so, so you've got flooding going on on a kind of a every 10 or 20 years basis here. And uh, people were still trying to control the river. They were still trying to dredge it in some spots. They had, had already started talking about locks on the river. There had been actually some movement to build some locks before the Civil uh, War had taken place. But we've got a lot of action going on. So here is an article from the Nashville American, the, which uh, was the forerunner, of, well, it wasn't exactly the forerunner of the Tennessee, and Luke Lee bought the American, but they more or less merged. And here we've got yet a flood on the Cumberland River, all the places it is. As you see, it is causing 
great destruction uh, to the railroad uh, property and loss of life. The damage, six iron bridges, and th these kinds of things happen, and it's all got to be dealt with and started over again. Now, Hartsville, uh, which sits upstream from here, uh, uh, had a terrible flood in 1925 that flooded all the... It started in the Upper Cumberland area in um, southeastern Kentucky, and sort of the flood came in our direction. And in 1925, a lot of Hartsville was underwater. We don't really remember Hartsville uh, so much as a place that has a lot of floods, but it is a place that flooded quite regularly. Uh, the next year, Nashville is going to have yet another flood here. It's going to be coming in again. And we're now beginning to expect when the damage is great, we are now with the 20th century arriving and the progressive era, we're expecting government to help us overcome uh, the damage that has been done. And so we see the uh, Corps of Engineers, which has been given the responsibility of the rivers, uh, the Corps of Engineers is thinking about doing some new things in addition to a better series of locks and dams, which they've already started in the 1870s and 80s. They believe that the federal government needs to help some of these people and help them with the problems. Uh, the, so they have a, a four-point plan that they're going to use that becomes their flood plan for the Corps of Engineers wherever there's an area flooded. First, search operations. Look for where people are lost and can't be found. Then provide number two, provide immediate food and clothing, whatever they need, health care. Lots of people get sick. We also have a widespread uh, uh, diseases spread very easily in times of flood. And then help people rebuild their property and reestablish or reclaim the land, their crops, their jobs. And finally, we've got to take the responsibility for trying to manage the river better. Managing the river. And so the floods will continue. Now here is the 1927 flood. How many of you have read the book Rising Tide? It's a magnificent book. It's mostly about the Mississippi River and the flood of 1927. But of course, since the Cumberland River is in the Mississippi River Valley, uh, it affected us and the Tennessee River as well. And it was a horrendous uh, 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 flood. And it's, if you've read that book, you know that there's a great deal of tension between the Army Corps of Engineers and the civil engineers over the levees because the Corps of Engineers had really supported building levees along the Mississippi River to prevent flooding, even though the civil engineers were not always supportive of those levees being built. And building the levees had caused people to spread out on what had been the floodplain and start planting crops there. So when the levees began to fail in 1927, the loss of crops 
is, is horrific and, and the devastation and destruction that this flood caused. And it really had started in the very last few days of December, but by, Dece by January 1, uh, they are all, the, the Tennessean is already saying, uh, you know, we've got a lot of people who have lost a lot, we've got to get to work, and here we have this flood, uh, but we're also celebrating New Year's. But we're not going to celebrate New Year's much here because for the next day or two, it's just like it was 10 years ago. Uh, even though the sun's out and it's quit raining, the river keeps rising for a little period of time. So people were beginning to accept the fact that we were going to live through this, uh, but there were lots of problems. And I couldn't help but, but be amused when I saw this headline here, or sub-headline, I guess I should call it, uh, No New Refugees, uh, because it was kind of this attitude. A lot of people from the rural areas were coming into Nashville where they thought they could get some, some assistance, food, the food and other things, and uh, there were some in the city who were saying, and we don't need any more people we can't, t we can't take care of anymore, uh, a subject still of some debate here. So here we have these floods. This flood in particular created a lot of trouble, but of course, let's just keep our priorities straight. Uh, we may have the flood at the top, but we're going to give football its equal due, right? So we were, we were celebrating, I guess, I don't know, we were, we were uh, acknowledging that Alabama had tied Stanford uh, uh, in the New Year's Day game. So just look at these pictures, and admittedly, these pictures are from the Tennessean, but you can kind of get an idea of where this area is. This photographer was up in the dome of the Capitol. Uh, uh, you can't go up there, uh, but it is, uh, I've been up there once in my lifetime, and it's a spectacular view, but uh, here you've got uh, a lot of houses completely submerged, uh, 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 up to their uh, roof lines here. So what are we going to do about this? How are we going to help these people? What are we going to do to prevent this from happening again? What is the way to avoid having these catastrophes again? Over and over we ask. This picture came from the Metro Archives, and there you see East Woodland Street. Uh, this spot that is circled here is where the E.B. Smith Chevrolet started. Those of you who remember E.B. Smith Chevrolet, uh, still, they're still in business, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but there had been another car dealership before that, and so that's the identifying thing on Woodland Street that you can kind of get your bearings. But look, all pretty much East Nashville is uh, uh, having a, a big uh, crisis uh, because it's underwater. There's a little bit better close-up of that. And then here we have some other pictures. I love these old cars, but... You know, driving, crossing uh, that water there is, is very, very treacherous. Well, 10 years later, guess what? Another flood, 1937. Now, some of you may actually have been to the Sulphurdale baseball field. I have not, but uh, it was, as you see, flooded uh, during this flood. 
Uh, we have residents trying to flee these muddy waters yet again in 1949. Same thing, all our efforts to control it haven't quite worked as well as we thought. And then here in 1948, yet another big uh, flood passing the flood stage and it's not done yet, the waters continue to rise. And so the politicians will debate, you know, what should we do about this? What can we do to help people? Here you see a family that is being evacuated from their home. Uh, we've got lots of people in need and uh, the uh, uh, Columbia and Pulaski are not part of the Cumberland River system. They are down there on the Duck River and that flows to the Tennessee River uh, over in uh, West Tennessee. And yet we, the, this flood in 37 was, was going to affect the Tennessee River as well, which means it probably was affecting Mississippi, Ohio, and the rest of these. And so here is this family out on Liberty Pike. You know where that is if you've been out to uh, Brentwood. It's certainly, there are no houses like this left out there. It's, it's all been built up. It's not farmland anymore out there. And we've got these locks and dams we've built on the river, but we're still having these problems. So the Corps of Engineers is really, really going to have to go to work and really going to, to have to come up with a better system than the locks we have and the dams we have. Now, a word about the Corps of Engineers and the TVA, because people ask me about this because they assume more people know about the TVA than they know about the Corps of Engineers, and yet the Corps of Engineers is us. It's, it's our river here. Uh, the Corps of Engineers had traditionally uh, always been in charge of the rivers for defensive reasons. I suppose it was a branch of the U.S. Army. It's not the Corps of Engineers. It's the United States Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, they were responsible for anything having to do with rivers as well as buildings and other things. And I think that when Franklin Roosevelt decided during the Depression to create a new authority to uh, do something with the uh, Tennessee River, it probably really sort of upset some of the Corps of Engineers. I see a few of you here, uh, folks, because they had, this is our, our, our job to take care of the rivers. But President Roosevelt really felt strongly that we needed this new kind of private business-oriented uh, uh, agency that would really do more than just uh, build some hydroelectric dams and try to improve navigation on the Tennessee River. What they really hoped for was uh, that would build planned communities in some of those towns that were so very poor over in uh, uh, on the eastern side of the Tennessee River uh, where the tributaries uh, will come from uh, up in the Cumberland Mountains down to the Tennessee River. And so the idea was this whole new agency, the Tennessee Valley Authority, was going to be created. It was a model for the rest of the country, and this was the plan. They were going to build low dams and high dams, and they were going to generate electricity 
and improve navigation and reduce flooding. That was a part of this because so one reason that area in East Tennessee was so poor was because the Tennessee River over there flooded so much. Well, you can imagine how people living here in Nashville uh, felt when they heard that the, the federal government was creating this program for the people who live in the Tennessee River Valley. But when they requested uh, to be added to it, Gallatin and Nashville both wanted to be included. Uh, President Roosevelt was firm, no, this is, Cumberland River is not part of the Tennessee River Valley. And that's one thing that many Tennesseans don't quite understand. Our water never mingles with the water in the Tennessee River by crossing or connecting. Uh, they come together about 12 miles apart up there where the Tennessee flows into the Ohio at the Kentucky-Illinois uh, border and about 10 or 12 miles east upstream is where the Cumberland flows into the Ohio River. So you may not know this, but there is a very fine line right down the, uh, if you draw a line down between the land between the lakes and on down uh, where the Harpeth River keeps kind of makes that kind of big swing and then the Duck River also makes a big swing south. Uh, that is called the Tennessee Divide and I've tried to find a map that actually had this on it. There is a, a sign down on the Natchez Trace that says this is the Tennessee Divide but it's so obliterated that I, it, the photograph did not come out that I took of that. But it's basically just an almost invisible ridge, and the water on the west and south side of this ridge flows to the Tennessee. All the tributaries, the duck, the, the buffalo, the duck, all of those rivers flow to the Tennessee, which takes it to the Ohio and the Mississippi River. But the Cumberland River, all the water on the north and east side of that line flows to the Cumberland River. All the tributaries there flow to this river and come through here and go out uh, through uh, the, uh, uh, up through Kentucky, but always apart. They've built a canal now up there to connect the two rivers, but that is a fairly late development in all of that. And so we've got... Uh, uh, this uh, uh, desire here in Nashville and Gallatin especially to be included in the TVA and the president and George Norris the senator from Nebraska who really was the mastermind of this said no we're going to do this it's going to be our our model and then when this one is a success, we're going to create other valley authorities all over the country. The plan was that this was the first of many that would be built. So you'll have the Missouri Valley Authority or the Connecticut uh, Valley Authority or the Delaware Valley Authority or the Columbia uh, uh, Valley Authority. You're going to have all of these valley authorities. And who knows, we might have the Cumberland Valley Authority. But then the war came, and who got back in President Roosevelt's good favor but the Corps of Engineers. They built 
the atomic bomb. They were very successful in that and, and got, it, got it executed. And in, in many people's short, shorthand, the Corps won the war. And so the Corps was going to uh, be pretty invincible after World War II. And so there were never any other valley authorities built after that war. And instead, the Corps is going to take care of all, all of the, the, the rest of the dams and things that are going to be built. So very slowly, the Corps begins to uh, replace this old system of locks and dams with dams that do control flooding better, that do improve navigation. Yes, there's still locks with those dams, but they improved navigation. Some pr provide electricity, others don't. And then some of these uh, dams just were, they weren't just created for recreation, but one of the goals of creating these dams was to, uh, for recreation. And so, you know, we want people using these lakes that are created by the dams. So, so that becomes a, an important part of Tennessee's recreational community and uh, cu culture, recreational culture. And so here you've got this letter. This was an editorial from the Tennessee and editors themselves. Silliman Evans, you know, was a new dealer who had bought the Tennessee uh, the Tennessean out of bankruptcy uh, during the Depression, and he came to Nashville intending to get it going again, and he liked it so much he stayed for the rest of his life. He was one of those Texas New Dealers, and he owned a paper in Chicago, but he liked Nashville better than Chicago. Imagine that. Uh, so, nonetheless, uh, the Chamber of Commerce and everybody else really want something done. And look at this line right here. Twice the great opportunity seemed near when the Senate, the last time in 41, by a unanimous vote, approved the Priest-Norris bill, Percy Priest, to, and George Norris, to place the river, that's ours, the Cumberland, under the jurisdiction of the TVA. The Nashville Chamber of Commerce was conspicuous by its absence in the fights to get this bill enacted. I wonder what Silliman Evans was saying to the Chamber of Commerce here with that little line. Uh, later, it in effect joined the opposition. Ah, so nonetheless, they were they were faulting this for not happening here in Nashville because they wanted the Cumberland River to be part of the TVA. So the Corps of Engineers does hear these people's cries. They do know what's going on here. And the Corps has always, almost always had an office at their, their regional office here. And so, Dennis, it's been here for pretty much ever, hasn't it? Yeah, it's had, it's had a regional office here. So it's not like the Corps has ignored us by any stretch of the imagination, but we really start this, this drum roll for work on our river. So as you see, it's been worked on for a long time. Look at the building, how these locks were being built back in 1891. Uh, that one was still under construction. It looks rather primitive by our standards today. 
Uh, there is another lock uh, being constructed. If you've never had the pleasure of riding uh, through a lock, they're really quite, in, it's entertaining to, to see how much of a non-event it is. <laughs> I mean, really, you, you, you know, it's, it's not like you're going to have this big drop, which is what I expected, but if those of you have grandchildren, they'll love this. Take them out here in the Cumberland River sometime, and, and they'll love taking the lock, going through some of these locks. But they were, they were the Corps of Engineers was working actively on the Cumberland River throughout our history. They were trying to make improvements all along well before the World War II uh, era came and went. And so here we have the locks being replaced. There are very few of those old locks left uh, that, that were built uh, early on in the 1890s and around 1900. Uh, there is a remnant of one, if you walk the Greenway, starting over at Percy Priest Dam, you'll see part of one of those old locks. Mostly they, they were blown up uh, with dynamite. They, they also, the Corps of Engineers, also created these reservoirs, which were to hold water, which uh, were, were, was something that some of the farmers and others really wanted. So the Corps came in here and did a great deal. And now, uh, I, I found this just yesterday, the National Weather Service is getting, they're, they're even improving uh, what the programs they are uh, for uh, 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 alerting people to floods and so coming on or after September 19th that was about uh, six weeks ago now so they are going to have these warnings this electrical system and they are working the weather service working with the Corps of Engineers uh, and the political powers that be in every county and every city on the Cumberland River to keep the river moving and to keep the flooding from happening again. We know it probably will happen sometime, but hopefully we'll have learned from the past floods and be able to deal with it. Thank you very much. I know y'all have got a lot of things to do, but I am happy to take, or I'd like to hear your, I'd like to hear what you know uh, and, and anything you can add to this story. I'd really love to hear what you have to say uh, about the uh, locks in the dams and, and your experiences with all of that. Uh, but I'm also happy to entertain any questions. I know I've got a lot of people in the room who can help me with the answers. <laughs> All right, any, any comment? Anybody have any stories to tell? Yes. When was the decision to build Old Ivory Dam made? The decision was made in the 40s, and it took them a while to do that, and uh, the, the same was true of Percy Priest Dam. Percy Priest Dam in the beginning was going to be called Stewart's, Stewart's Ferry Dam, but that got changed, and so uh, they made these decisions. I mean, Hendersonville, Tennessee was just a bunch of farms. It was very, uh, there was nobody living up there, and then, so when the word comes that they're going to build that dam, uh, they, they People start buying the real estate that's going to be along the lake. And now 
Uh, I don't know whether you've been up to drive up there now. The 1950s and 60s ranch styles are all coming down, and what my friend Nancy Ray calls starter castles are being built uh, up there on the lake. Lakefront property is uh, uh, pretty uh, 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 valuable these days, and even in Gallatin, there's some there's some a Lakeshore Drive, and all those ranch style houses. I mean, they are being snarfed up beyond belief. Uh, so. Uh, Old Hickory uh, was planned, and once they did that, there was some opposition to that. You know, people don't want their land condemned. I mean, there's always, when you're condemning land for uh, government use or something other than citizens uh, owning it themselves, private ownership, there's always going to be opposition. And, and, you know, even the TVA dams that were built in the 30s, uh, Charlie Ray is a retired lawyer, and he knows my husband, who is also uh, not a retired, but a lawyer. And when he first started practicing law, Carmack Cochran still was handling uh, cases related to the, con the, the condemning of land for the building of Lake Barkley and Kentucky Lake. I mean, those lawsuits went on for a long time, and uh, so he was doing a lot of that property condemnation cases. So, you know, now that's a whole different ball game. And, you know, it's much harder for, for uh, the government to condemn land uh, and, and, you know, things like that whole, the whole um, uh, urban renewal and the location of the interstates here in Davidson County that will never be, that will not, something like that, I personally don't think will happen again. But we may see farmland uh, taken uh, by the eminent domain laws to build more highways or to uh, maybe expand the lakes, although I don't think that's really going to happen anytime soon either. But, you know, we're really lucky to have uh, this, this location and we have abundant drinking water. If you have never been to the Omahundra water treatment plant, you really need to go. You can't walk in. You've got to go with a group. Uh, until 9-11, it was pretty open. But after 9-11, the, the danger to our water supply was so great that they've got, you know, fences all around like, like a prison with... Uh, and they, it's very secure, and you just can't walk in there. You have to go with the groups. So you have to make a reservation, as it were. But you should, it's really quite, it will make you feel good about drinking our water. And the, the, the chemists and biologists who work for Metro Water are some of the most dedicated public servants in uh, America. And I'm convinced that I'm drinking clean water when I drink water out of my tap. Yes? I'm curious about uh, river gauges and things like flood stage. Am I correct that those are relative numbers, not absolute numbers? Uh, yes. Those are not absolutely precise because at any two places on the river, first of all, the, the level is not flat at the bottom. They're not at the same spot. And, and generally, the way these gauges are, if you go down here, you'll see some on the river, you'll see some of them up on the, the, uh, the pilasters that are holding the bridges up. And so those were quite relative. So when you say it's 53 feet, 
what does that mean? You read in the paper, uh, you know, the, I, I've gotten, you can tell how old I'm getting. I'm reading when the moon comes up and the sun comes up and all of that these days. And, you know, you've got the, the, the depths of area lakes on there too, which I'm not a boat person, but I do love looking at those numbers and seeing how they change from day to day. So, yes, those are relative. I mean, you know, it's anybody's guess. So we just have to say it's a lot higher than it was two weeks ago or it's a lot lower. And, you know, now here's a funny story, uh, speaking of it being lower. Between Sumner County and Wilson County is Highway 109. And it was built after World War II. Uh, they had been, the Sumner County had, a, there was a ferry there. There were a lot of ferries. Even in the 70s, there were still a few ferries operating. But there was a ferry that went across there. And so Gallatin and Lebanon wanted this, they wanted a bridge across the Cumberland River. Well, of course, guess who the people in Gallatin thought should pay for it? The people in Lebanon, and guess who Wilson County thought should pay for it? Sumner County. And so they fought about this for years and years, and finally, after World War II, they built 109 to cut across there. And I think, frankly, if you've ever driven on 109 lately, which I drive on uh, uh, about once a month when I'm going to MTSU for something, uh, it is under construction. I think it's been under construction since the 50s. They're still fooling around with it over there. Yes. You were talking about flood stages. I had a business building at the corner of Third and Broad, and whenever the Corps of Engineers reported 47.2, it came up through holes in the floor and flooded the inside. There was no sight of the, the, the river outside at all but it, it flooded the basements of those buildings, and probably that's when it comes into the Nashville Symphony. Uh, that, may, that may have been when it came into the basement of the Skirmerhorn uh, at that point. You know, in my neighborhood, which is over in Green Hills, uh, between Bowling and Hillsborough Road, we had all over our yard uh, springs popping up. I mean, there were just spouts of water shooting up in our yard, and uh, the, the same thing was in, in some of our neighbors' basements. Uh, and, you know, we don't have a basement, so we did not have any flood problems. But, uh, you know, the water, we, the ground was just totally saturated. Uh, and, you know, I kind of like to think it's a flash flood, but it was really a slow-rise flood. It rained all day Friday, all day Saturday, and then kept raining and raining and raining. So... Anybody else have something to say? Oh, yes, Dennis. Dennis, I've known, see, I'll pick on the people I know here uh, who have, have an interest in the profession. I'm, I might add just a, a couple of things. Um, since I've spent my career with the Corps, um, the report that came out in the 40s that Carol talked about was called the survey report. And what the Corps did is they went around all in the Cumberland Basin to find out where they could most effectively build dams that would control flooding and produce hydropower and in some cases navigation, improved navigation. So this survey report came out and identified all these locations, namely the Wolf Creek Dam up in south central Kentucky, 
Dale Holler, uh, Center Hill, and then they also identified these navigation hydropower structures such as Cordell Hall uh, and Cheatham and not only Barkley, but at the time, at that time, they identified a dam on the Harper River called Three Islands and then the dam on the Red River called Rossview. As, as time progressed, uh, the idea became to eliminate the dam on the Harpeth and the dam on the Red River and raise the dam on the Cumberland where Barclay is and then connect the two projects with the canal. So there were two additional dams that were eliminated at, at some point. That was called the survey report of, I think it came out in 45. And wasn't the Columbia Dam, wasn't there supposed to be a dam down in Columbia that the uh, snail darter stopped? I kind of remember that. Now we've got Craig Phillips back here who has a long history uh, with the river. Uh, he is now a professor at the Owen School at Vanderbilt. Just wanted to let everybody know that you can walk on the walls of Block 1. Uh, we have a city park about one mile down river. It's off of White Creek Pike. And uh, it's pretty cool down there. And there was one little, you mentioned the location of the interstate highways here yeah. and the controversy about where they went. Uh, but there was a plan in place at one point to put the main interstate coming through downtown along the river. And uh, if you look at many other cities, that would be our sister cities, think St. Louis or Cincinnati or Pittsburgh, um, they suffer today because they have these interstate highways using their river right-of-way, and we've been blessed by the fact that, that uh, we were spared that. We suffer mightily in many other ways from where they located the interstate, but, but they didn't locate it right here, which, which was kind of amazing. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, you know, if you want to read one really good book about urban renewal, it's a book, uh, her name is um, Ainsley Erickson, and the name of the book is Making the Unequal metropolis and it really shows you the dimensions of of the politics that went in to moving where to where i-40 is even that music row development over there is really an interesting book it's called making the unequal metropolis it's a really good book okay thank you very much i hope you all have a good rest of the day We hope you enjoyed hearing from this week's speaker. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about River Talks, please visit cumberlandrivercompact.org. We hope to see you at our next River Talk in Nashville, Tennessee. We are able to keep River Talks free thanks to the generosity of our supporters and sponsors. Your donations truly help us achieve our mission. If you would like to become a supporter of the River Talks, you can find the link in the show notes or visit cumberlandrivercompact.org.